Have you ever sat on a long commute or a dull day in the office and let your mind wander back to the days of rectangle pizza, bowls and bowls of sugar cereal, and gushing over your favorite cartoons and movies in school, and worry that those favorites from childhood won't hold up today? Well, the Saturday Morning Confidential Podcast answers those questions for you. Host Maddie Limerick sits down with artists and creators of today to pull back the veil of nostalgia to talk about what's great and what we would change in hindsight years later. So pull on your comfiest PJs, pour yourself a bowl of your favorite cereal, and take a deep dive into the files of Saturday Morning Confidential. Releasing bi-weekly on Saturdays, available on your favorite podcast platforms and at certainpov.com. Actors to places. Thank you, places. It's time to exit stage death. Welcome back to Exit Stage Death. As always, I am one of your co-hosts, Maddie Limerick. And I'm your other co-host, Emily Martinez. And these are the chilling true stories behind your favorite Broadway shows. And welcome back to the second episode of our Ghostlight Talkback series. So it's not a normal season, but there are just things that we need to talk about that could eventually turn into cases or things that we talk about on future episodes. So I want to talk about them now. And because of this, you know, a lot of the people that we are seeing as the kind of new voices in the generation of theater and theater makers are from TikTok. They're from Instagram. And today's guest is one of my favorite go-to her caring or her content is always on my for you page today we've got Catherine quinn with us Catherine, welcome, welcome to the show Catherine. hi thank you i'm so excited to be here so for anyone who doesn't know who you are tell us who you are and a little bit about what you do as a theater creator yeah so i am sort of like a theatrical swiss army knife i've played keys and pits i direct and choreograph i've produced um i'm assisting a book writer on a new show right now so it truly runs the gamut and like ultimately i'm just a huge early 30s theater nerd um still having done this for however many decades um and so yeah i started a tiktok channel mostly initially to uh, fangirl over barlow and bear as they were like creating bridgerton in real time and I that's, how like, I, that's how i first found you i was just like Kindred spirits. <laughs> oh, was freaking out, totally obsessed. And then it sort of just evolved into these are theater opinions. And especially while theater was dormant during the pandemic, it was just like mm-hmm. an opportunity to have conversations, especially as we were all theoretically thinking about how to make the industry better. Um, and now theater's <laughs> back. And so it's a delicate dance of uh, how do I continue being a theater artist while asking the questions I want to ask? And that's sort of the deal. So, Catherine, I just have to say that, like, I really appreciate that you are on the side of theater TikTok that is, like, elevating questions that need to be asked in a way that opens up a conversation, uh, because I feel like a platform like that is the perfect place to kind of start some of those conversations. Um, And a few weeks ago, you posed a great question about the disparity in theater pay between union and non-union touring contracts. Um, I actually was the one that commented about the SpongeBob contract. That was me Mm, Um, hey (laughs) and so uh this is kind of a huge rippling effect across the whole industry but why do you think that the producing companies are essentially still being allowed to produce such large shows with huge ticket prices while like criminally and like well-knowingly underpaying their casts and creative crew 
because it's, it's in their interest. interest. Of course. Yeah. Because it's a business. Um, and because I, uh, I am friends with a number of producers. I have contemplated investing in shows, producing shows. Mm-hmm. Um, I was in a relationship with a producer for a long time and I learned a whole lot. And one of the big takeaways, and it was really interesting because we would have conversations, um, some of them on TikTok, and I would often be coming from, I used to be a performer and now I'm a creative. And so that's the lens through which I'm seeing these issues. And my ex was always like coming from a business perspective because Mm -hmm. she's a producer. The thing is that a producer is only really responsible for working in the best interest of the investors, Mm -hmm. not Mm -hmm. the creative artistic talent, which sucks. Mm -hmm. But essentially, the creative and artistic talent are tools for this company whose Mm -hmm. CEO is the lead producer or lead producers. And their job is to serve in the financial best interest of their investors. So arguably, Hadestown, which won Best Mm -hmm. Musical, is still selling well, can go out as a CETA tour instead Mm -hmm. of a proper production contract, which certainly they could have afforded. Because mm-hmm. I'd never heard of the CETA contracts that you were talking about, of the kind of like short engagement versus like just a full production engagement. But I guess it from the business side, it makes sense because of course they could afford a full production contract, but it, you know, I, I don't know. I guess because I didn't realize until I got inserted the ship contract that like people are still auditioning constantly. And if they find something better, they will just out themselves of their first national tour or off their mm-hmm. ship or wherever they are, they will go to what the next best thing is, which I, that I completely understand. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't know whether it's their way of balancing that, but I also like, from, cause I also started as a performer. I go, damn, if I could get something like Hadestown, I'd be more than fine sitting in that for a full year before I decided to move into something else. Cause like, it's Hades town <laughs> or like six. I can't imagine any of the girls wanting to just leave, but we saw that even with the Broadway company of six, that like some of those girls came in uh show open Tony's happened and they were like, peace, 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 peace. Yeah. But I mean, that would, that's a different kind of thing. Cause that show was supposed to open a year before it actually did. Cause you know, <laughs> COVID uh, is everybody so afraid of not working or what's going on. that Nobody's kind of, kind of ask or question or go, Hey, that's, that's not what anybody else is making or that's, you know, knowing what your ticket price is. I, I mean, when I like, when I, when I was like sending in uh, submissions for stuff like um, the Les Mis tour and stuff, mm-hmm. it was like, I was like, is this a non-union tour? The way that like I was for the mm-hmm. amounts that were going out for, for principals. And I was just like, it's not even a thousand dollars a week. Like mm-hmm. I, it was, it was wild. And I was just like, that's why I thought I was like, Oh, maybe this is a non-union. And I'm like, this is Les Mis. Like this is this is it, wild. Is it Sita? Um, I don't know. I'm gonna check actually. I think it might be. So Sita, those agreements came out because so many tours were going out non-union, mm-hmm. and first yeah. nationals even were starting to go out non go out non-union, and so equity that was equity solution which Mm. may or may not have been a sensible one that, Oh, look, we can still do equity tours. They're just going to cost you like a fraction of what a production contract costs. It Um, it was a CETA. It was a CETA. Yeah. I mean, depending on, 
uh, depending on the integrity of the producer and, and the way the production is being managed, there is an opportunity to make overages, to make additional mm. money. Um, but I've heard all sorts of mixed reports about like how those are calculated and like what recoupment totally entails, et cetera. Um, and I think Les Mis is a tour where it's like, you, you could probably count on sizable overages for Les Mis, but other tours, who knows? I guess, I guess this also bleeds into the idea of ticket prices for Broadway shows and national tours. Cause I know I worked for Rock of Ages for like three years between new world and then both Broadway houses. And I know those producers for a while were angry at how low the ticket price, the ticket cap was because of the producers guild and like the touring houses, they couldn't charge over a certain amount. Um, And so I recently had a friend that posted a handwritten board of ticket prices from the chorus line previews at the Schubert on Broadway. And the mid mes ticket was like six dollars. Uh, and oh, uh, what a time! I know. <laughs> well, and so I started thinking about in 2007 at that same theater when I saw Spam a lot. I think I paid forty five dollars day of. For, oh, for what a time! For, for that middle, like middle mezzanine kind of thing, and that was also like five years into the run. I think they closed. Uh, that was I think that was that Feb that January like. 22 closed shows closed on Broadway. And that was one of them. Um, And then, and so in that same area, and then in 2013, I saw Matilda there, same seats. And I think they were $85 a ticket, but now for the exact same seats for some like it hot, which is opening at the Schubert in their mess center on an aisle, like right next to left or right center. And they're $205 a ticket. What is happening? I get that it's a business. Like, I will always understand that it's a business. But on my Facebook recently, I have a lot of, like, would-be equity performers who, like, are trying to make it to Broadway. And they're like, Broadway does not have to be accessible. Theater isn't accessible. And your ticket prices don't have to be accessible because it's about making the money. That is the point. And so I – are we – are we seeing all of these kind of correlated things connected where – they're producing these shows and they're charging. Cause like, I know rent went up, yeah, but they couldn't have gone up that much in order to quantify those prices. Like, I are just... those performers advocating? Like, like what was the point of them saying that? You no. Know, so I posted and they were, their point was it's commercial. It's that's why it's commercial theater. It doesn't have to be accessible and you don't have to go see a show. I just completely disagree. I do <laughs> too. Thank uh, you. Disagree. Disagree. Like, that's disagree. my thing. I complete like you. You had a video where you talked about how different seeing shows in London is because mm-hmm. I, it's something I love to do. And it was just that, like, and I don't understand why performers would not be advocating for fair ethics of their field because I mean, performers are completely powerless. So there's yeah. actually yeah. no point in them doing that for for one thing. Um, But that does seem like a weird ethos to like stand behind as somebody who wants to participate in this business. And it's not like that. Those ticket prices are going towards your paycheck. Like that's the thing. Cause even, I mean, the nice thing. You're just digging yourself in a ditch, sweetie. Like, cause that was the thing after like that first year in Hamilton, there was that question of where is the money going? And then suddenly that entire cast for that year got a real big bonus and Mm -hmm. they, you know, they were, they got, you know, ticket sales included in like part of their contracts. Cause when I would like street team, it would be hard to sell. Like uh, <laughs> I did American idiot and wonderland for a bit. And like, 
even with Billy Joe Armstrong in that show, it was impossible to sell because people wanted to know where Lion King and Wicked were, even though they'd seen them 10 times on tour, they want to see that like old reliable. But when is old reliable, not old reliable anymore? Like when, when I feel like we've gotten to that ticking point of it is now past the point where it's going to be affordable for anyone to see shows. And so who do they think is going to fill those seats? I have like 400 thoughts running through my head. I know right it's now. such a broad, broad, broad kind of question and thought. Yeah. I mean, the first time that I think that I, I mean, what has just post pandemic, I feel like we're all seeing everything so differently mm-hmm. and that, you know, I noticed prices going up prior to, but it's been like mm-hmm. really, really harsh since the pandemic has happened. And as like inflation is soaring, et cetera, et cetera. It's like, our threshold, like the, the idea that theater doesn't need to be accessible and is for the elite to me is like anti-artistry and it makes mm-hmm. me so furious. And I understand that we need a way to fund this business and that indeed the business model is broken and that we weren't making money on shows before the pandemic and it's even harder now to do it. And so part of the reason people are probably charging a million dollars is it's like, well, literally nothing can stay open. So if we were, if we already were struggling to recoup the investment, then you're you're going to have to charge more if it's only running for a short period of time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the thing that producers have seriously underestimated is our our tolerance for discomfort, for shitty seats, for inaccessible bathrooms for all the weird stuff of these ancient, ancient spaces, which we love and revere appropriately. Mm-hmm. People do not want to spend $300. Like people hardly want to go to a movie theater where you sit in a reclining seat and pay $25 to see like the most beautiful humans alive, like do the acting. Like nobody wants to sit in a cramped seat that was built for, you know, shorter, smaller bodies that don't exist anymore. And like, you know, cram into these bathrooms that haven't been updated since 1965. And like, and and you're like, you've paid $30 for your like sip of wine in this crappy plastic tumbler. That's just going to like clutter your nasty kitchen. Like it sucks. It's not good value anymore. And I'm not saying that to disparage performers or the artistry. Obviously I work in theater and I love it, but like, I just feel like there's a serious shortcoming on the business end of things right now. And I think that there is just this idea that like, well, the art is worth it. And it's like, no, actually there's not, the value has lessened dramatically. Mm-hmm. Our, our experience as audience members has dramatically lessened. So like, mm-hmm. let's rearrange where some of this money is going. Let's mm-hmm. create some more accessible theater programs, put butts in seats, up the capacities that I've been seeing sitting at 75% or less for months like, why are you sitting with quarter empty houses and like, there is more money to be made. Sell mm-hmm. those seats at an affordable price mm-hmm. that will create buzz. You want young people coming in. They're the people who are going to post on TikTok and tell their friends to go see shows. Like, it's just this antiquated, like elitist. We're putting a full page in the New York times as our ad. Like it, I'm like, y'all are living literally in another century. Yeah. That is not what is going to work anymore. Yeah. It's just crazy to me. It's like the marketing, like, where's the marketing team being like, not that I support, (laughs) not that I support, um, 
ways in which uh, like things like the Emoji Land tour ended up of like th- there was like so much marketing and and I was I was one of the auditioners that like I got my video posted and I was like hey none of you asked for my consent to post this on your website and stuff like that but it drew attention to my site so I was like okay like I'll let this one go but like there was a lot of like sketchy um, kind of um, free marketing happening uh, with tours like that and that I feel like that's consistently happening we saw it with Mooney with the dance call like with all these things going viral but in a way I'm like I don't know re- wait oh the Muni oh yeah yeah um and it's just interesting because I'm like well there there are certain places where you can be really smart in terms of your like we don't need a thousand ads in the subway um if you pay creators a, a good amount probably so much percentage less than what you're paying for billboards um, to create content that's going to get a buzz because people are constantly taking in content, then like that—that that is, that is an easy place that that money can be allocated elsewhere to like to be updated for the times, but also like help generate like people coming like butts and seats. Like there are just areas where I'm just like I didn't even get a marketing degree, and I feel like I figured that one out. Like I'm just like there are the, it's just. I agree with you so much where I feel like our industry, we, there's so much talk about like how we're like, oh, like we're, we are evolving. I think we are the slowest evolving industry in the entertainment space. It's wild. It's wild. Yes. Like the art is evolving. The art itself is. And it's like telling better stories, but like sometimes, but like getting like, like the amount of work that probably took just to get strange loop to the ears of the people with the money. Like it's just wild. A decade. Yeah, yeah. literally. Well, I mean, I mean, and we also applaud, we pat ourselves on the back as a, as a community every season when one strange, when something like strange mm-hmm. loop plays or top dog underdog is, is re- revived. It's like, look at what we're doing. Aren't we wonderful? Lilius White is in Hadestown. Aren't we doing the most? And how um, many of those people I mean, were honestly, that was brilliant. It is brilliant because I mean I will I worked at I worked at Barrington in 2016, which I think you just saw night music there, right? Yes, I did. Um, did. And we had the cabaret series, and one of our like first or second people, they were like Lilius White, and nobody else in the intern company cared. And I went, I'm sorry, I'm going to be able to sit four feet away from Lilius White and listen to her sing. (laughs) Heaven, which which was the moment where I went, where we've missed out at this point, but where was that Lilius White gypsy? Cause she sang Rose's turn. Oh my and, God. And, um, and uh, oh. it was who we, everything that I ever needed. Cause she's just everything she needs to be in everything. But can I tell you why that is such a smart choice though? Yes, please. Yes. Like beyond the obvious or, or not even why it's such a smart choice, but why it like actually gives me hope in this industry, despite the fact that I'm like sort of mad at the Hades town producers for putting out a seat of first national tour yes, when they course, did yes. need to. Um, the fact that they did star casting, which I'm holding up air quotes for anyone listening. Um, not that Lilius White isn't a star. She is a star to me and she is a star to all people in theater, but she's not necessarily a household name to like mm-hmm. the rest of America. If you're like, oh, one of the fierce belting muses in Hercules, they'd be like, oh, like they would recognize her voice. But, you know, anyway, first of all, I'm really excited that it's a true theater star who is mm-hmm. replacing Andre de Shields. Mm-hmm. Second of all, they didn't sit on the boring ass excuse of like 
we can't change any of the costumes and we can't like we we have to hold fast to a facsimile of Andre de Shields, which is impossible because Andre de Shields yes. is the most singular human alive. Mm-hmm. And they like it is just it was so smart and so reassuring to me that it wasn't like, let's just throw some random celebrity in as Hermes or let's throw in whomever. It's like that is such that I, I could really wax philosophically about um Hades sound for a very long time, which is so strange because I really didn't like it very much when I first saw it. And now I just am truly in love. <laughs> um, but there's just so, it's just so full of artistry. And that choice is such a brilliant artistic um, sound choice. It was a good marketing move. It was a good artistic move. I just like, it has all the integrity in the world. So whoever made that happen, good job. So did sorry, that was any, a tangent. Did but they I just, change any of the keys for her? Or is she singing? You know, you're saying that. Thing? And I actually don't, no, I, I didn't that, notice yeah. any of the keys changing. I mean, I saw her and she was brilliant. Um, because that's something that I am so, I, and I might get like hate for this, but I am, unless it's like so specific to the story, I'm like, change the key, change the key for whoever's oh, got to yeah. sing, especially like the, the solos, because like it opens up availability for so many different bodies to play so many different roles. Uh, and it's like, it's just more exciting. And it's like, you cannot tell me that musicians that have played the same shit over and over and over again, wouldn't want a challenge of being like, yeah, let's change it the fuck up. Musicians love that. I think a lot of musicians, I I gig a lot. And a lot of musicians are like, oh yeah, let's change it up. Let's try something new. Totally. I mean, I will say it would be like, okay, well the copyist is going to have to do new charts and like all of that. And you know, there are subs coming in and out of the band. It's not like it's the same people every single night, but so it's like an investment. Oh, I'm sorry. You work, you work in pit. You, you know this much more. I do apologize for overstating it. No, 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 (laughs) no, 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 no. But like, I do think that, you know, it happens all the time with star casting that a star will go in. They can't reach those notes. The key is modified, but suddenly if it's another musical theater performer, it's a problem. Mm. And that just doesn't make any sense because it's not that big of an investment and it's totally worth it. So I'm totally on board with you. I, I think it also, and you pointed out, it was like, well, stop doing the billboards because let's be honest, how many New Yorkers actually regularly go to the theater, like regularly go to the theater because who can afford it? frankly Mm. and they also don't do like great thing i love in the uk is you walk up 15 minutes before and you're like what do you got and they're like how does a stall seat for 35 pounds sound and i say brilliant let's do it because they would rather have a full house Mm -hmm. because they know that is what's going to make people come back like Mm -hmm. the fact that the incredible angel who is dylan from tiktok is (gasps) not being asked to come see every broadway show and then do tiktoks about it is a missed opportunity but like by bringing Lilius White in it shows to me now that they're going we know who our normal crowd is which is non-theater people non-artists non-New Yorkers and by pilling, putting Lilius White in they're suddenly going ah yes we want you all to come back because you probably saw it at New York Theater Workshop or right after because you wanted to and then they're like ah oh, we need to get those people back because it's like let's be honest people who see commercial musical theater or commercial theater period are typically not people who make theater unless you get some Mm. sort of discounted ticket or a comp or they're just not they're appealing to the people who are coming from minnesota they're coming from florida they're you know they're coming 
because I've also found that like New York now is like a lot like Disney where it used to be once or maybe twice in a lifetime, but mm. now your family's willing to like go in debt to go often just so you can say you saw Dear Evan Henson for the 14th time. Like, uh, yeah, I, I don't know how I'm, people I'm confused see, by so, what's, what's happening. see a show so many times. I'm like, how do you do mm-hmm. that? I mean, I saw In the Heights eight times, so I can't really say anything. I, <laughs> I think I, I saw know. American Idiot well, ten times. So, <laughs> but that's not. But that's not today, though. Like things have even. I mean, ticket prices yeah. have changed today. Oh yeah, they have. Yeah. Well, and I, I was going to say before dynamic pricing was a thing, it was it was still possible to go to. I remember like my mom and I went to the New Amsterdam to see Mary Poppins a hundred thousand years ago, and it was like. Thanksgiving and I went up to the box office mm-hmm. and they did give me like a cheap mm-hmm. fierce ass seat. Mm-hmm. That doesn't happen anymore because it's all mm-hmm. computerized. That's like yep. not the thing. Um, yeah. And that's just like totally a missed opportunity to me. Also, it was so funny when you were like, why do we need these subway ads, whatever? And I'm like, listen, the people who can afford a $300 seat are probably not taking the subway anyway. Exactly. They're not. <laughs> and they're not taking a yellow cab either. Like, let's be no. honest. <laughs> no. Listen, the new AM used to have these fire, fire $30, uh, the top box of the box seats. And it was the perfect place to watch the entire show from the house left mm. box, house right box. Cause Mary flew right next to you at the end of that show. I, I think I saw uh, six or seven times because I'd have a bad day at school, like <laughs> conservatory, and I would like cry my way down to Times Square and be like, "Do you have a back seat for tonight?" And they were thirty dollars. <gasps> and then when they closed and Aladdin came in, they got rid of those seats, and I was real annoyed. But uh, that's also Disney. So this mouse. actually, I think, transitions us in a way because like you can't talk about musical theater right now without talking about Funny Girl. It's just a thing because it is. Like that and like Music Man have been like the two big ticket things and they both in many ways have not lived up to either potential for nobody's particular fault other than the producers. Um, So (laughs) there's a lot with that show that, you know, both kind of music, (laughs) especially because this week the Music Man cast recording came out. So like we close Beetlejuice for that, friends, really. Uh, So there is this age old idea that the show must go on. But with recent Broadway shows and tours, you have whole performances where nine to 12 actors are out of each show. So brand new swings or complete strangers are brought in to play these roles, scripts in hands with two hour notice, while people are paying $300 to $1,000 for orchestra seats, depending on the show. All I can think of is the kind of TikTok account with the character of Veronica and her all the like workplace content with her boss Susan and like like uh, acting your way to all those things <laughs> and the idea that the show must go on it's the theater workplace toxic like yeah theory Absolutely. that has been like passed down for for generation to generation that keeps theater professionals overworking themselves because like understaffing in technical theater is nothing new it's been happening for years i mean most regional theaters have done it for eons so what do we kind of think about this idea of the the show because again this is like i think two weeks after the new swing and funny girl had to go on for a matinee while she was going to see her dying mother uh and had an hour's worth of notice uh so like she got, she like did this great post on Facebook. And I was like, that is incredible because that shows how much of a consummate professional actors are and like how much of a hard work it is to be an actor. And then I immediately went, why are we celebrating this? Because she should be praised. But who is benefiting from the show must go on? 
I think we have to be really careful about what our boundaries are because there's definitely a part of me that's like, oh my God, the thrill of seeing somebody with a book in hand on stage who's oh, never yeah. done it before. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, give me that. I'll pay money for that. That's fierce. Yeah. Plus, isn't Leah Michelle's name above Funny Girl? So couldn't no. people theoretically request their money back if that's like the rule? Like if someone's uh, name is above the title, they can go to the box office and say, I want a refund. I'm not going to see this performance because I bought mm-hmm. this ticket to see Leah Michelle. Oh, I th- I, I think, though, if it was a resale ticket, you only get the original face value oh. of the ticket, not what you paid for it. So, I mean, yes, but also sure. I think it, how many people know that that's a, like we know. I've I've exercised that a few times in my lifetime. But I know that now. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yes, you are correct. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I'm just I'm curious to know where the boundary is, because, well, I ugh, part of it. I think the thing that has to be adjusted is our mindset about it because I've watched injured, sick, mm-hmm. all per- performers in all states just like suck it up and bear it because they're, they were the understudy. They were the swing. There wasn't anyone else to go on. The show would have to be canceled. That like gajillions of dollars would be lost, et cetera. I think my question is like, how can we, <laughs> how can we get performers to value themselves and their boundaries enough to be like, mm-hmm. actually, no, I'm not capable to do that. And, then how will we know that there won't be repercussions for that performer? Like the theater won't hire them again or think that they're not a bad sport or some stupid shit like that. Because in any other industry, you just call in sick. Like it doesn't matter if you have a fucking big meeting, you say, I'm sorry, we're going to reschedule this because like, I think that's, this is total or partially tangential, but like I have a full, I have multiple careers and one career pays me, a couple of my careers pay me like particularly well so that when shit happens to me in theater that I tolerated when I was 22, 23 years old, only doing theater and making like non-equity pennies, anytime someone tries to give me shit in theater, I'm like, I actually am not afraid to walk. I'm also mm. not afraid to put my foot down. I'm not afraid to have mm. boundaries because I have so, I am literally the boss of two other solid businesses. Like mm. I am going to put my foot down, but performers often can't like that is a luxury that is a gift that is like mm-hmm. like performers usually can't afford to do that so how how do we change like i don't think it's inherently problematic to like have swings and understudies going on have standbys going on like why for, i mean but also like why wouldn't funny girl have like a greater stacked standby situation anyway or like can we have like covid swings or mm-hmm. something can we have like like they're paid some sort of something to just stay in the city and be around and sort of like stay on like a vacation swing, but someone who stays in New York. So that like that, those are the solutions that should be happening rather than Mm -hmm. people like sacrificing their personal livelihoods to make sure that a night of song and dance continues. And there sure as hell are enough performers that are trying to get work to have that be available. Yeah, absolutely. Especially after that, uh, I call it nonsense just from, I've been around equity uh, long enough that when the uh, opening of the floodgates last summer happened with the, you can join as long as you've had one professional contract to can prove you got paid. There's so many people who could use contracts who are incredible performers. I mean, the non-union tours used to do that years ago. Like 10 years ago, they would like hire you as a vacation or six wing and you wouldn't get paid until they called you and said, we have to fly you out to such and such city you're going on. And then you would get paid to go out and do an X amount of performances. And then you get brought back and keep going about your life. Um, you know, or certain shows used to have like super secret swings. Um, I mean, I think what was happening yeah. with Funny Girl is they had just hired a slew of new swings 
and that performance happened, what happens when you cancel a single performance? Because I haven't seen a show that's been 100% sold out in a long time, like a couple of them maybe, but like you can probably find space because also who has the money to see a show every night you're in town? Like that's just, I'm sure most people see one or two shows maybe. You're in town four or five nights. So you could probably move some things around, but it's... I, it's it's a toxic idea. It's a toxic idea that I think we can have these kind of conversations day in and day out, but unless the people who have the most say and the most money start having the same mindset of ch- wanting to shift things and create solutions, it's just unfortunate because I feel like there are, and I think the same idea goes for like the, um, the eight show week. It's just like, is this like even doable anymore for people because people are getting sick and because people can't keep up with it because life is different. Um, post, you know, major pan, like major part of the pandemic. And it's, it's just like, like I've said, I think we're a lot of, I think our industry is a lot of talk. And now that we're, we're back to it, they're just going back to what was easy for them. Um, which kind of a uh, Catherine actually like leads me to a question for you because it's so interesting that you said, um, because I feel like there's so much that I'm just learning about our industry, the older I get. And like, I always thought that a producer's best interest aside from money was to like, take care of the performers in a way. So since you, since you said like, that's not their goal, like, who would you say, like, who, who, who is the person that is supposed to like take care of? Um, the livelihood of the creatives like who do you think that that role is bestowed on I mean for the cast it's definitely a company manager if Mm -hmm. your theater or you know whatever has one Um, but that doesn't always happen there's not always a company manager Um, uh, and then also it's funny that you were talking about learning like the word fiduciary is always thrown around like Mm -hmm. the best financial interest of whatever party Um, there's this like crazy tale of mine from non-equity days where we were snowed out of our opening weekend. They said, we're not going to pay you for your opening weekend because you didn't do any performances. But like, I wasn't doing any other work. I was housed there. We were snowed in. I couldn't leave, et cetera. And um, long story short, I fought with the producer and general manager about this. And uh, they were just like, sorry, our hands are tied. Our contract said you would be paid on or about this date. And in fact, it is about the date that we specified. And so we have not, you know, broken a contract. We haven't done anything incorrect. Um, A male in the cast said, I'm walking unless you pay me for that weekend. He was paid. And the producer said, don't tell Catherine. She's really upset about this. Then our final day of shows during intermission, they took us with our wig caps on with like everything into a ballroom space in this theater, had the contracts printed out in front of them. And literally the general manager told me, he said, I hear that there's like some, you know, frustration about this, particularly from you. And let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. This contract is to protect me and my theater. And if you had a problem with it, you shouldn't have signed your contract. And that was such a turning point for me. I was like, okay, I'm fighting for myself here. And like, oh my God, would I take that shit now? Oh Mm -hmm. my God. I literally would have driven away, but I didn't have a car at the time. And I, you know, it was like in the middle of no, you know? So anyway, um, yeah. So I guess the answer is the company manager, the stage manager to an extent. Um, But, you know, and I mean, producers there, it's not like all producers are inherently malevolent. 
And like, I know that, you know, producers care about actors to an extent, but that's the, like, they're a CEO and, um, you know, Mm. an actor is a tool. So. (laughs) Well, I also think we have have more people than ever coming out of musical theater or like theater conservatories, theater education programs than ever. And they're still being taught the old wives tale of the theater blacklist. Mm Mm-hmm. And not that the oh, theater God. blacklist, and not that the theater blacklist should be like William Ivy Long or Harvey Weinstein, people who are or James Barber, who are literal predators. But not me over here, still thinking that blacklist exists. Does I mean, not? <laughs> I like you. Have so many of these kids that are still so terrified, and so they're also terrified to advocate for themselves at the regional level when they're out on these shitty fucking gigs living in a barn for a summer but i yeah i think it's just so many people are afraid that like their that gig is going to be their last and at this point i can't tell you how many times with this current gig that like some weird bunny things came up i was like i don't want to be that person but i will leave today if this is not handled and it was handled good for you good for you that's exactly just, right that's what has, people have to yeah. know that they they, they can act it they can advocate mm-hmm. for themselves although you do have to be okay with the possibility that you could actually lose your job which sucks Yep. But there is a surplus of people. And earlier the question was asked, the question was asked, like, when is it actually going to change? And the answer is the producers are going to change what is going on when it hits them in their pocketbook. And that is it. That is the only answer. Like once, and then there might be some like semblance of creative thinking of like, we need vacation swings or we need whatever. But like, until the show literally doesn't go on and they lose money, they will continue pushing status quo full stop. Mm -hmm pivoting a little off of like the business side of things to kind of the creative side of things because we are still at a point where things need to change and i love the video that you did about little night music about queering one of the characters and what that would mean i love the concept of queering the canon my other background in theater is like social justice theater and women's women's studies gender sexuality studies yes yes and so kind of applying that that concept of like what that would do to a singular character in like a dra- like a pure dramaturgical standpoint what does that mean on the macro level of if if large scale uh productions because that is the nice thing it takes like two or three people hearing about something happening on a production for it to blow up on social media and mm-hmm. everybody to suddenly know about things so what do you think that would mean on kind of the macro level oh my god it should be the norm. It should be like changing keys. It should be yeah. like wh- whoever wants to play whatever, uh, you know, like we are, we are not talking about like non-trans people playing trans people, et cetera. We're talking yes. about like, yes. you know, we're changing this character to like, I, I just, it doesn't, it's literally theater. It is theater. Why can't we gender swap? Why can't we queer things? Why can't we, if we're doing a revival, like revivals, it is standard for revivals to cut songs, to add songs, to pull songs from trunks, to adjust the plot, to name different characters, different things. Why shouldn't we have a revival that's either totally gender swapped, partially gender swapped? Why shouldn't we do a revival where something is blatantly queer? Like, what is wrong with that? We're still honoring the piece. We're still telling those stories. We're making them interesting. We may or may not be making them more contemporary. It, I go to theater to see humans interacting Mm -hmm. with other humans as like the thing that brings me great joy. I don't think that there should be, you know, again, as long as it's an appropriate situation Mm -hmm. and by appropriate, I mean like you're not misrepresenting ethnicity, race, et cetera. Um, Then it should happen, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. 
And like, I just think, like, I just want it to be the norm. I, we we just talked about Starlight Express a couple weeks ago as this is coming out. And <laughs> the, the Busham production in Germany constantly is changing and updating the show. Weber has gone in mm. and changed the show. They're continually modernizing it. They even sat down and said, this show is sexist and it's not working. Let's change everything and modernize it. Oh my that God. To, that to me, one, it was shocking that Weber made that choice because it's Weber. Let's Truly. be honest. Um, but I'm just, I'm, I wish more shows would do that. Like the fact that it took like six years from between Oklahoma being at barge to that last revival of Oklahoma, whether you liked it or not, you know, make, like forcing the old whites and the, and the, the, uh, ex, you know, the extreme, um, purists to just like turn over in their grave and just not come see a show. Like not everything's going to be for you. I, I think that is, especially cause we're always saying there's so many more women. There's so many mm-hmm. more this and that who are not being represented on stage. Like 1776, the show. Come on like, 1776. It, it shouldn't be 20. Like that production should have happened a decade ago. Yes, like it's absolutely. been talked about for 20 we years. We need it to sell better though. Like uh, let's hype it. Everyone go see it. <laughs> yeah, I say it's for so the love of God, go see it. Um, and so cast me in it this this leads into a lot of the phrase that i always come back to from your content is the model is broken Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. a lot of when you're talking about theater pricing and contracts and casting and shows that are being presented as we wrap up what do you what do you think the biggest key missing components of that model are right now here's one concrete thing that should not be happening The Broadway League currently represents both theater owners and producers. That is a ginormous conflict of interest. Yes. Mm -hmm. That's crazy. That should be divided. Um, The first thing that came to mind when you brought up that question, and a lot of people will probably have the same thing, is like, oh my God, the unions, how do we do, how do we create any change with all of these unions? Which again, yay, unions, we love them. And also theater is in fact the last industry to get hip with absolutely everything. <laughs> mm-hmm. And when you're combining all of these disparate parties and then a the, the, the league that represents everyone who is benefiting the most mm-hmm. from the commercial end mm-hmm. of the industry, that's super fucked. Um, so that's like the concrete example. Um, and then like in a sort of like, uh, not metaphorical sense in a sort of like theoretical sense. Mm-hmm. I think <laughs> there needs to be like, <laughs> this will literally never happen. There needs to be like the Broadway league, all the leagues need to come together and be like this, like a list of priorities or a code of conduct or something mm-hmm. that literally all parties are agreeing to. Like, is can there be a commitment to accessibility in theater, whether that is representing various bodies, whether that is uh, in both the audience and on stage, you know, are we going to make ticket prices more accessible to some people, but keep dynamic pricing so that people who really want row E dead center, they can pay a million dollars to go see Hamilton. Great. Like it's, I think it is so tricky. I mean, I think theater people in general are sort of like the Island of misfit toys. And I think, you know, we all have different priorities and agendas within this. So there isn't, I feel like now more than ever, a lack of like a a unified ethos of what Mm -hmm. we want Broadway to be, what it represents and who we're catering the shows towards. Mm -hmm. And it just seems lost. And it's like, and I don't really know what the answer is. I don't know if there can be a symposium to be like, Mm -hmm. who's going to fund that to be like, what is Broadway now? But like, we need that because 
it just feels like we're listless and throwing money at things that aren't creating solutions. And meanwhile, like you said that I've been saying, like the model is irreparably broken. We need a straight up new model. I don't want to fix what we're currently doing. I want to throw it all out and create something new. And I recognize that that is very pie in the sky and we probably have to work within existing systems and that will take time, but I don't know. A girl can dream, I guess. <laughs> Absolutely. 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 No, that was that was so beautifully put. I couldn't, I mean, that's, it's a hundred percent and you are correct. There is no way to fix what's broken. You have to start anew. Throw like, it all away. This isn't repairing, this isn't repairing a teapot with gold. Like we don't need to see the imperfection. We need to, well, we need to see the imperfection, address it and fix it uh, in a new model. So Catherine, thank you so much for being on the show with us today. I appreciate you, it so you. much. It was a joy. So I have two very quick questions for you that are just fun to kind of decompress after a heavy hour that we've just had. So if you could revive any show in the 2023-2024 season, your dream show, what would it be? Um, I think like my very favorite shows are like big brassy lady shows. Like I love Hello Dolly. Mm-hmm. I love Gypsy. They've both had revivals in the not too distant past. I mean, Gypsy, it's been kind of a minute. Yeah, it was 2008, so it's time. Oh, I know, I know, I have an answer. Um, it's deeply problematic and much rewriting will have to be done, but I desperately want a revival of MAME. Um, and I think yeah. that like Jane Krakowski needs to be in there. Oh, I like, yeah. like, we need that energy. Like Vera is, is the sarcastic bitch that is all of us right now. Like mm-hmm. we need, mm-hmm. we oh, need yeah. that. So like oh, yeah. we need... To, there needs to be some like severe rewriting of like um, the South- Southern Dixie situation of it all. Yes. Um, however, yes, comma, right. there are some fierce ass songs and I absolutely want to see like a brilliant, brilliant woman just like absolutely mm-hmm. crush it. Human being crush it. I, I will say a gypsy is always my favorite. It is my favorite golden age show. I'm always ready. Cause I've been screaming since sod by side by Sondheim was at roundabout that we need a Vanessa Williams led gypsy revival. That is Ooh. that hear me out dramaturgically because burlesque and vaudeville was where performers of color went for safety that skewing the whole thing to be rose and june and louise being women of color and then going into burlesque Mm. and having herbie still be like a white Mm -hmm. character in there what that you know what that would mean because also vanessa williams sang rose's turn and the cut song from gypsy and in that and i just went this woman needs to be mama rose but we are closing that window i mean it's smart we're losing windows but i i just always want to see also just because we can update gypsy a little too because she's a she's a little problematic in different ways but Mm. um but so last question is, I know I only want, I would prefer only original stories, uh, but they don't always sell. It's a hard, hard thing. So if you could turn any movie or book into a play or musical, what would it be? Well, shoot. What, can, what, can I um, be rude and ask what yours are? Mine is oh. Miss Congeniality and Drop Dead Gorgeous <sighs> are my two. I did a post. I did a post about how Miss Congeniality needs to be a musical. I absolutely agree. It's stru- it's structured like a musical without the music. Also, they have to leave one in a million, and they just have to. Uh, yeah. Just, oh, uh, for sure. Because also for a while, I was like, Laura Benanti. I I really want no. Laura Benanti as the lead, but we can. There's just because she's got. I the have. Been, I'm like, what is. What is her next? What is her next vehicle? And I think you've done it. And I think it needs to be Miss Congeniality. I'm stealing your Thank answer. You. I've already made a video about it, so <laughs> that's it. You're brilliant, <laughs> and you did it. 
Honestly, thank you. I'm totally fine with that. Also, just because we've got like beautiful men to play the Ben Brandt role. We've got really delightful, delightful men that could be the Michael Caine role. There's just also like like a Kelly O'Hara or um uh, give me Norm as, Lewis uh, as the Michael Caine role give me that'd Norm. be so much that'd be so much fun uh, that'd be a lot of fun I mean there's also just so many people that I think it could be a great star I also say Emily Skinner as the Candace Bergen role Candace Bergen uh-huh so as the, the pageant or Beth Level I will do anything for Beth Level too Beth, I was thinking <laughs> Beth Level that was the first one that came to my mind but, um, but that's Emily Skinner is really smart too yeah, we need another Benanti fix. And I think I think Miss Congeniality is a brilliant thing. I also think it's like a worthwhile, timely story for us to yep. tell right now. Like mm-hmm. I'm just I'm very here for it. So um I am I'm just gonna take that and I think it's great. <laughs> I also want to throw it out that like it's time for a legally blonde revival with all the updates that have been happening regionally. I I just I also it's my favorite like a movie musical so that just for anyone out there that might have some money to throw at some things with uh, <laughs> oh we've had all these beautiful plus size l's with gorgeous locks and things that like it's time for a new it's time for a new l it's time for a new legally blonde but that is Catherine, so true Catherine, where can everyone find you on the internet you can find me at it's Catherine quinn on both tiktok and instagram and if you want to know more my website's just my name katherinequinn.com amazing well thank you again we appreciate having you thank you so much for being thank here thank you thank you this was so lovely don't worry listeners no need to adjust your dial this is landline radio welcome to the end of the dial at the end of the world i'm the host And we bring you stories too chilling and strange to be true. Right from the heart of towns where the lines between this world and the next connect. Stories from people just like you. For those long, dark, lonely nights driving down roads that never seem to end. We'll be here. And don't worry if you can't find us. We'll find you. Leyline Radio is from Dreamer Productions and can be found monthly exclusively starting in October on their Patreon feed. Follow the link in the show notes below to hear and enjoy. Are you tired of watching your beloved characters being tortured by careless authors? Are you sick of feeling like they could have swapped out all of the painful action and the plot would remain untouched? Subscribe to Books That Burn, the fortnightly book review podcast focusing on fictional depictions of trauma. We assume that the characters' reactions are reasonable and focus on how badly or well they were served by their authors. Join us for our minor character spotlights, main character discussions, and favorite non-traumatic things in the dark books we love. Find us on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for joining us for today's episode. Exit Stage Death is brought to you by Dreamer Productions. This episode was audio engineered and edited by Maddie Limerick. And our theme is Antisocial Dance Party by Brett Eagleston from the Let's Rewatch podcast. You can find us on Instagram at Stage Death Podcast. On Twitter at Stage Death Pod. And send us your favorite chilling theater stories at Stage Death Podcast at gmail.com. 
You can find us on Patreon.com at Dreamer Productions, where your donation of $2 a month keeps quality content coming your way on your favorite podcatcher app. Join us for more chilling true stories on the next episode of Exit Stage Death. CPOV. CertainPOV.com.